Our preacher to start off the uh, service tonight is Courtney Lewis. Um, he uh, was raised in public housing in Chicago, uh, not that far from where I grew up a couple of years before. But uh, <clears throat> he, uh, he was in and out of reform school, had a lot of problems. And until uh, Barry Zadarsky, who was his youth pastor at the time, got a hold of him and just guided him. Boy, I, I, I just think youth pastors are so needed to be strong and good guides. And he guided him, took care of him, got him pretty well straightened out by the time he came to Fairhaven Baptist College and uh, went through the schooling that we've had and then went through our internship and uh, started Cornerstone Baptist Church in uh, Chicago in the Hyde Park neighborhood. Now, if you listen to national news, you'll hear Hyde Park, Hyde Park, Hyde Park, Hyde Park. That's where the bombers live that have gone free. Uh, That's uh, where University of Chicago is. that's where President Obama's house is. That's where Louis Farrakhan lives. Uh, that's where Jesse Jackson has his church. Um, and so, <clears throat> he, I love starting churches. I just, and I don't mean me, I only started one, but I love to see people start churches. And uh, anybody that has started a church knows that it takes real time for the newly saved to grow and mature and so forth. And uh, uh, Brother Courtney has seen that. He's seen people grow. At University of Chicago, when we went and looked over the neighborhood, I was excited about uh, the University of Chicago being there. And he has reached some, some uh, students. And uh, they, in fact, saw the president of the student body, University of Chicago, got saved. And he got rid of his drugs, and he got rid of his booze and that type of a thing, and is off to Oxford. I don't know where all he is now, but he's saved and uh, and was not ashamed of being saved. He was a good witness. Uh, we have a, a student that uh, came here through Courtney's church there at the University of Chicago, and he's graduating this year and going to end up in the mission field eventually. And so God has blessed uh, his work there, and he is uh, a true fundamentalist. He is uh, uh, a real uh, separatist, fundamental Baptist preacher. And there's not many of them around, and I'm so glad that uh, he can preach for us tonight. I love this conference. And uh, my first one was in 1991. Pastor Zdarsky drove me in here and uh, got to see what preaching conference was like and fell in love with this place instantly and haven't missed a preaching conference since. This is, this is my place. Preaching conference time, this is where I want to be. And in 1993, after riding the bus for a couple years, I got saved in that balcony. Uh, here at Fairhaven during the preaching conference. I, I love this conference. I, I love this church. I spent 12 years of my life here, and um, I'm looking at a lot of friends and a lot of people that uh, put up with a lot 
and uh, put a lot into my life and uh, proud uh, to be able to say that I was sent out from Fairhaven Baptist Church. And anybody here considering starting a church, I'll say this, it's not just important where you're going, but where you're going from, where you're going from. And uh, I love the ministry. We have 30 plus of our people uh, here tonight, and that's joy. Had a young lady came forward last night and got saved. Mrs. Gilmore dealt with her, and we're excited about that. And just to see God do something this week. Um, I, I, we normally have our midweek service on Wednesday night, and uh, I preach not normally to this many people on Wednesday night. Uh, but I'm excited to be here, and most of our Wednesday night crowd came here tonight. And uh, we're getting ready to celebrate our fifth anniversary. And uh, we're praying that God would, would save the lost on that May, day, May the 26th. If you can remember to pray for Cornerstone Baptist Church. And um, I, I don't know all the spiel, Dr. Strange, but I'm just a Chicago boy with Jesus. Uh, we're getting ready to celebrate our fifth anniversary. And uh, we're praying that God would, would save the lost on that May, day, May the 26th. If you can remember to pray for Cornerstone Baptist Church. And um, I, I don't know all the spiel, Dr. Strange, but I'm just a Chicago boy with Jesus in my heart. <laughs> Take your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 2. I want to preach a message entitled, Candlestick Removed. Candlestick Removed. It's a scary thought to me that we can have our doctrine right and still be rejected by God. Our candlestick removed. All because we don't love Jesus like we should. And uh, as the song service started, Holy Spirit gave me confirmation that this was the message that, that God wanted me to preach. Basically losing your first love. And we sang more love to thee. I'm not an emotional person, but Holy Spirit gave confirmation. And then Jesus, lover of my soul. And so God's good. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 4, the Bible says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly. This is the part that gripped my heart, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Candlestick removed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use the message, I pray. And Lord, I pray that your word to us tonight would be quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, that this simple message could be blessing unto your people. Help me, Lord. I pray that you'd give me liberty and freedom and your power and that, uh, Lord, we'd just have a blessed time in your house and Lord, be with Dr. Strange as he preaches and or just give your power to the rest of this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there are seven messages addressed to seven different churches. The messages were given by Christ to the Apostle John and then delivered to each of these churches. John at this time was the last living apostle. He was something about 90 years old. And I'm certainly not saying that I understand everything in the book of Revelation, uh, but each church would get a personalized message from the risen Savior. 
Just like the State of the Union address is supposed to bring us up to date on the status of our nation, these letters were like State of the Church addresses to let the churches know where they were at. These addresses were given by President Jesus Christ. John is having a real vision of Christ concerning the end times. And the Bible says that John is hearing the voice of Jesus. And when he heard the voice of Christ, he turned aside to see what he could see. And he saw seven golden candlesticks. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the middle of those candlesticks was the Lord Jesus Christ himself in all of his glory. Chapter 1, verse 13, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Now, the, the right hand of Jesus Christ held seven stars. Uh, look at the beginning of chapter 1, verse number 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand. So we have seven stars and seven candlesticks. What are they? What do they represent? Each star is the angel of those churches. Look at the middle of verse number 20. The Bible says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, the word angel simply means messenger. Who is the messenger of a church? The pastor. The pastor. So the seven stars are the seven literal pastors of these churches. And when God's getting ready to work on his candlesticks... He starts with the pastors. We can blame the media if we want. We can blame the politicians if we want. But we better start with the house of God. And we start with the angels of these churches. Look at the end of verse number 20. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Every church that is truly one of Christ's churches, is still today one of his candlesticks. These are golden candlesticks to represent the purity that those churches are supposed to have. Now, what's a candlestick for? To provide light in darkness. And that's what churches are for. To show forth the light of, of the world so that folks can be saved. You don't need to turn to Luke chapter 8, but in Luke 8, 16, the Bible says, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. And that's why we try to be aggressive soul winners, so that they which enter in may see the light. That's why churches used to run buses. So that they which enter in might see the light. That's why churches used to preach standards. I know there's more reasons for standards than this. But so that when people would come in among Christians, that by our lifestyle, we could point them to the light. That's why we try to raise godly children. 
Of course, so that they can go on and, and be what God wants them to be. But on the way so that they can be a testimony that God is real and they can be led to the same Savior who can help them raise their kids. That they which enter in may see the light. That's why we seek to have Bible marriages. It's a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. That they which enter in may see the light. Keep your place in Revelation, but turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Let's not strut around like independent fundamental Baptist peacocks. Let's just stay candlesticks. These churches in Revelation, I know you're turning to Philippians, but they were called candlesticks because in some measure they were still holding forth the light. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 15. The Bible says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, Jesus wants us to shine as lights, but we have to remember that we're not that true light. He is. Turn to John chapter 1, if you would. John chapter 1. Jesus is the light of the world. The candlestick's just there to hold the light. John chapter 1, verse number 8. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So in Revelation, we, we, we see Christ, the light of the world, the Bible says he's walking among his candlesticks and he's holding the stars, the pastors in his hand. As a pastor, that's where I want to be. As the conservatives are endorsing queers, I'm glad I'm in his right hand. And, and listen, as the as the as the queers want to get into the Boy Scouts. So that they can rape little boys. I'm glad that as a pastor I'm in his hand. Now why was Christ walking among the candlesticks? He was working on these candlesticks. They had problems. They needed repair. So the seven churches would have received these messages. And most likely the pastor would have stood up and read the message to the churches. Now, the first church dealt with here is the church at Ephesus. It was established by the Apostle Paul with Aquila and Priscilla in Acts chapter 18. By the time they received this message in the book of Revelation, they were about the age of Fairhaven Baptist Church, uh, 40 years old. Now, law enforcement officials, when there's an accident, they seek to come on the scene and recreate the accident to try to figure out what happened. And tonight, for a few moments, I want to recreate this church at Ephesus and make some application to our life. Christ's message to the church at Ephesus was a blistering warning that they were about to have their candlestick removed. In chapter 2, if you turn there, Revelation, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, 
and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, if the church at Ephesus could have their candlestick removed, any church represented in this room tonight can have their candlestick removed. You can have your candlestick, pastor, removed. Now, any pastor in his right mind would be concerned. How can I avoid it? I don't want it to happen. What does it mean? Well, I believe it means a removal of his gospel. I believe it means a lot of things. But a removal of his gospel. A removal of God-called, God-qualified leadership. The removal of his ordinances. The removal of his power. His presence. I think it literally means... That a church can be unchurched. Number one, a group may call themselves a church and not be a true candlestick of the Lord Jesus Christ. A real church isn't a church because they have people and call themselves a church. You can have a building, special music, offerings, a sermon, a yellow page listing under the fundamental churches. And a website. That group may have a sign out front that reads, so-and-so church. But if in the eyes of Christ, that candlestick has been removed, then brother, you better hold the funeral of the church. That's concerning to me. Now, the church at Ephesus was doctrinally sound. They were doctrinally sound. And they were still in danger. Of having their candlestick removed. The church at Ephesus was doctrinally a good church. But Jesus said, you've fallen. The church at Ephesus had convictions and standards equal or better to the convictions and standards of any church probably in this room. I believe they were a great church. Somebody back in college gave me a stack of uh, Sword of the Lord's. From way back when John R. Rice was the editor. And I treasured those things until a flood destroyed them last week in my basement. Um, I tried to salvage them, but it was sewer water, so I figured I'd better pitch them. Um, but, but I would flip through those papers, and I would read of the great independent Baptist churches in the, in the 60s, in the 70s. And I would say to myself, where, where are they? The biggest churches... In every state were churches just like this. But they drop like flies. What happens? They've got their doctrinal statement right. I believe people draw a circle around themselves. And, and pride gets in. And they say, I'm Joe Christian. What's wrong with everyone else? Your church can have a doctrinal statement that's bulletproof. And you can have your candlestick removed. You can be against queers, against abortion, for the King James Bible, 
against tongues and have your candlestick removed. I'm not trying to pour salt on anybody's wound, but Jack Scott was against abortion. He was against homosexuality. We might, somebody might look at that doctrinal statement and say, hey, the, the doctrine's pretty good. He was against tongues. Where is he at tonight? The church at Ephesus could have a founder's week like no other church. They had the bragging rights of being founded by the Apostle Paul himself. And then later, Timothy came along. He was probably martyred by the time this message was given. So we're not sure who the angel of this church was when the letter was written. But the church was a sound church. And I believe they would make many of the churches here, probably mine, in ways look liberal. In this passage, in Revelation, they are commended over and over and over again. Number one, they were called a working church. Look at chapter two, verse number two. I know thy works and thy labor. They were not a bunch of slouches at the church at Ephesus. The ministries in Ephesus were worked hard. Nobody was complaining because they had to put in eight hours on the bus route. They were rejoicing. They labored. We should never, ever complain for fulfilling the Great Commission about that. We had a couple leave our church just recently. You know what their greatest beef was? It astounded me. Aggressive soul winning. And again, I'm not talking about the one, two, three, pray after me junk. I'm saying simply go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. There are independent, fundamental Baptists tonight that are so lazy that they don't go out to try to win souls. And they're proud about it. The stations were manned at the Ephesian church. They weren't cream puff Christians. They were a church on the move. The members were busy. I, I, I love our people at Cornerstone. I don't have to argue with them about going soul winning. They want to go. Man, we packed a 15-passenger van Sunday to go out and knock on doors and had to have a vehicle. You know, we had to follow another vehicle to where we were going just because there wasn't enough room. And, 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 and I'm talking about brand-new Christians that want to win souls. I don't have to argue with them. They want to go soul-winning. Work for the night is coming. We're going to ride in a hearse someday. Let's win some souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. The church at Ephesus not only worked, but they worked for the right motive. The Bible says in verse 3, And for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. They weren't laboring to make pastor happy. They were laboring for his name's sake. In their minds, it was for Christ, and that ought to be enough. So this church was being set up to be rebuked, even though they were a hard-working church. I'm not excusing laziness. Church is no good that won't work. But being a hard-working church alone isn't enough to keep you a candlestick. Number two, they were a patient church. Two times in the passage they're called patient. Look at verse number two. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Verse three, and hast borne and hast patience. It's not enough to be hard-working. We have to be patient. Now, Ephesus was a wicked city. What, what temple was there? The temple of Diana. And it stood until A.D. 356. So it was there when this was written. And when it was knocked down, it was quickly rebuilt. 
Ephesus knew that they had to have patience. They had to have patience with people outside the church. Our temple of Diana in Hyde Park is Barack Obama. He is better than Jesus Christ to many of the people that live in Hyde Park. I've knocked on a lot of doors. I know this to be true. He is the temple of Diana. But you know what? You've got to have patience with these people. And you've got to pray. You've got to labor and you've got to love them. We need to have patience with those outside of the church. We need to have patience with those within the church. I'm glad Pastor Zadarski had patience with me. Where are you at, Pastor Z? Where are you at? I'm glad he had patience. Because I was a bad kid. <laughs> Listen, get some of these bus kids out the church on Sunday night. Get them the midweek service. If you can make that, that, that bus kid, that boy, a faithful bus rider, God might can make a preacher out of him. Got to be patient with them. Ephesus had patience. They had rough times. They had difficulties while working for Christ, but they learned patience. It's one of the most difficult virtues to obtain, and Ephesus had it. And even though they were a working, patient church, they were being set up to be rebuked and to have their candlestick removed. They were a zealous church. Verse number two, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. We see that they practice church discipline. They can't bear them which are evil. Three times in the past five years we've had to do this. And every time it's been with people that we love. The, the very first time was a lady that joined our church. She was the first member of our church. We love her. We love her to this day. She still visits our church. She's not a member. But she allowed a man who was not her husband to come live in her home. And I went over there with another church member and we opened the Bible and, and we said, you can't do this. The Bible says, she said, but nothing's going on. He just needs a place to stay. The Bible says to avoid all appearance of evil. Why, why don't you don't do this? <laughs> she did it anyway. We voted her out of the church. We had another lady gossip. Love her to this day. Gossip. Big mouth woman. Gossip. We approached her. We had her over to dinner just to talk to her about it. We had her over to dinner with a couple in our church just to talk to her about it. We prayed. We begged her. Stop gossiping. She wouldn't stop. We voted her out of our church. And then a, a teenage girl, homosexuality, member of our church. Once we knew it was true, she was gone. The church at Ephesus could not bear them which are evil. The church at Ephesus would have invited David Cloud to come and preach. They were rock-ribbed. They believed in doctrinal purity, ecclesiastical separation. They were a thorn in the side of the world. Look at verse number 2. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. They didn't tolerate false teaching and they were commended for it. We need to be zealous in our churches again. We need to be zealous. Can we be too zealous for Jesus? Why do we need to be zealous? Churches tonight are ordaining homosexuals to the pulpit. The Presbyterian Church in America has ordained its first openly homosexual pastor. 
They are not a candlestick. Now, there was a time when you would say Presbyterian and they had some fundamental tendency. Fundamental. They're not a candlestick. The largest Lutheran church in St. Paul, Minnesota, has chosen an openly gay man as pastor. They are not a candlestick. ELCA. I don't understand all the synods and all the break-offs of the Lutheran church, but whatever that is, that's what the seminary is where we rent space. ELCA. Homosexuals. Mega churches are big, but most of the time they're not candlesticks. Joel Osteen, pastor of Lakewood Church, said this. I don't try to make the services at Lakewood super religious. He came to Chicago not that long ago. He filled U.S. cellular field. You can fill a baseball stadium without filling heaven. It's like a family where all 15 of the children are adopted. You've got lots of numbers, but no births. Many of these mega churches have dropped the word Baptist from their name. They don't want to be embarrassed by the clear-cut connotation of that word Baptist, so they just drop it. Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, that humanistic, self-centered philosophy. Uh, Trust yourself. Love yourself. Enjoy yourself. Forgive yourself. And, And all of this junk to downplay sin. And what's the product? His own son blows his brains out. Fundamental Baptist preachers read his works to try to learn how they can fill the seats of their church. They're not a candlestick. Churches pastored by women are not a candlestick. It's blatant disrespect for the word of God. The Roman Catholic Church is not a candlestick. They're not only apostate in their beliefs, but they're joining Forces with people in Africa that work voodoo. Pope Benedict, before retiring, said this while speaking in Africa. We need to cultivate respect for Islam and traditional practices. Now, if you're in Africa and you're talking about traditional practices, what are you talking about? Voodoo. It's not a candlestick. Churches that correct the Bible. They're not candlesticks. They're showing that they don't believe the Bible. Two prominent theologians associated with the Nazarene church said this. We reject historic fundamentalism. It's literalistic. It's overconfident. It's reactionary. They criticize preachers who, quote, pepper their presentations with so many Bible verses that their messages appear to be straight out of Scripture. Hello? Preach the word! That's where we're at today. Under the new order of service produced by the Scottish Episcopal Church, God will no longer be referred to in male terminology. Can't say Father. Can't say Jesus the Son. Can't say the man Christ Jesus. They're not a candlestick. A church in Flint Township, Michigan, called The Bridge, has opened a licensed tattoo shop called Serenity Tattoo on the church grounds. The churches can leave church, the the people can leave church and go get a tattoo placed on their arms, legs, and backs. That's wicked. The pastor of Bridge said, we are about doing church a different way. Not a candlestick. A church in San Jose, California called Urban Life provides beer for the attendees after service. 
The pastor, Bill Jenkins, said he has made urban life as unchurchlike as possible. The service consists of a short message followed by uh, small groups. Again, they call themselves churches, but they're not true candlesticks. God wants us to be like the church at Ephesus. He wants us to be zealous for the truth. The militancy is gone. The militancy that characterized our movement, that got things done, 